welcome to the Authentic Feminine Ecstasy podcast, a place where we explore our innate intimate freedom. And in today's episode, I'm going to interview Carmela Bahan, a dear friend, which she has been a source of inspiration for many, many years. And I have witnessed her flourish and become a guide to others in bereavement, death, loss. So, Carmela, I'd like to welcome you to this episode and thank you for being here with us. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's just fantastic to be here. It really is. So, the first question I'd like to ask you, Carmela, is what makes you feel most connected to your feminine wisdom? I think the remembering to face darkness and not to run away from it. That when I face the darkness, um, it's like a, um, a chasm from which that feminine wisdom can rise, but I need to quiet the mind, face the darkness, and like live in a cave, live in my inner cave and allow that to uh, express itself. Wow. That's a beautiful thing that you're bringing the darkness and it connects me with what we're going to be talking today about, which is the dark side, that which is um, unseen. And I would say in our culture, forbidden, it's almost like you're not allowed to die. This is a bad thing. And um, and as you know, Kamala, I have recently lost my mother. And I do know, yes. Elizabeth, right now, before you say any more, you know that I light candles for people. And I would really like right now um, to light a candle for your mother. I knew your mother, beautiful soul. I've got it right here, and I've just lit that candle for her and for all those whose lives have recently been taken for whatever reason. Hold them in my heart right now. Thank you. Wow, thank you for bringing this, Carmela. That feels like uh, symbolically you're talking about the dark and... <laughs> And then you, we light a candle. Well, you light a candle for yeah. for all of us that are in bereavement. And I myself, I feel I am in bereavement because what I'm, what I'm noticing is the body, feelings, mind that's happening beyond and through my opinions of what death is, or whether I like my mother, or whether I didn't like my mother, or how close. Mm. I was to her or not, is something that it begins to get undone within myself. And that's why I've called you here today to bring us some more light because you have a lot of experience. So here, here we are to open this door, this mystery about death. So please tell us uh, about what made you go into this area of life and hold so many people into this process of death and dying. Oh, I just love this whole topic, this whole area. And you know, what you said about moving into the dark, that this, you know, death is generally considered to be a dark place. And then I lit the candle, which was quite interesting. Um, for me, Death has never been a dark place. I don't remember anyway it ever being a dark place. For me, it's it's a place where there can be an awful lot of pain, of course, but but um, the light has always been present there for me as far back as I recall. And and I I wanted to share something that happened to me that maybe sparked. It perhaps wasn't the exact beginning of me coming towards this work. But I think it had such a big impact on me that it probably kind of opened me to the possibility of working like this. And um, it was when I was in my 
very early 20s, I think about 21, and a friend of my mother's had gone for a regression session, which is um, taking someone back before this life to find out, you know, whether any more lives before this life. And she was taken back through before birth to her death, her last death. And it was all on tape, tapes in those days. And this woman, her name is Maggie, she was so excited about her experience of her previous death that she wanted to share it with other people and she shared it with the, myself and my mother. And it was, um, it was like sit, listening to the tape was like sitting at a live experience of someone's death. She was very ill and on her deathbed and had been very ill um, in this previous life for a, a long time. So she left her body and then, I mean, it was just so exquisite because she was exclaiming about the, the light, the light, I can see the light. I don't feel my body anymore. I don't feel the pain. And it, it so touched me hearing that it felt so real. You couldn't have acted it if you tried that, that real. Um, so I think that experience really showed me, because I totally believed it, um, that death can be an experience of exquisite light and dropping of the physical form. So that, that was the, yeah, one of the main things that happened. And then, of course, as, as you said um, earlier on when you introduced me, that my son died. He died, he slipped in the river when he was five and, um, and drowned, basically. There went one minute, gone the next. And I think because I already had such an openness and a, a different kind of relationship to death, I was able from the very first moment of knowing that he died, to respond to it in rather a different way than most people would respond to it. So, although, as you can imagine, the mother in me was completely devastated and I went through perhaps the same emotions of most, most mothers would go through if their child had died, I was also aware of the light. And for me, and it's another little story here. Can I go into another little story here? Yes, come on. Yeah, yeah. Okay, another little story which really, really helped me to deal with his, um, his death. And again, it's a slightly unusual story, but I was leading a workshop one day. And it was people that I knew, people I'd worked with a number of a number of times. I was about eight, seven or eight months pregnant at the time. And all of a sudden I was kind of overcome with emotion. In the middle of talking about something completely neutral, really. I had really strong emotions, a kind of a longing feeling and a sadness and fear, really. And I looked around and it didn't look as if anyone was having any problems in the room. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I think this is coming from the baby in my womb. I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do here now? So I actually just trusted it and I said, this is going to sound very strange. But would you, would you just humor me for a minute and listen? Because if I open my mouth, I think that there may be words from, from the child within me. So I open my mouth and the words that came out were, you may think that we have no fear here, but I have fear of being born 
because in birth there is death. Just as there is birth in death. And then there was this kind of said that the longing, the longing coming in waves and say please keep me conscious of who I am before I come when I come please keep me conscious of who I am when I come and when you give birth remember the death remember the loss of true self so that that is what happened to me that's what really put me on a on a path to not knowing What's, which way is which? Which is birth? Which is death? So they got kind of melded in me at that point. He was born in water. He was one of the first water babies in, in Britain. And he died in water. Interesting. But when he died, I, was, I went straight into the place of those words that I'd heard. There is birth in death. And so what the way that I held it all was to allow the um, allow the dark, the difficult, the howling anguish to have its way, to do its thing. And at the same time, hold the awareness of the uh, the birth in death the possibility of this being an a, an absolute finale of rightness into water out through water into light so i held both of those like like a a yin and yin yang symbol you know the dark and the light they're together in that symbol and they're a symbol of oneness and I felt really strong, I have to say. I felt strong even when I was collapsing in grief. Yeah. Carmela, this is beautiful that you're sharing all of these building blocks that got you to be the authority you are on the subject. And I mean authority, you're an author, but also you're accompanying so many on this life transition yeah and but you talked about the true self and for our audience here can you define a little more what you mean by the true self well yes i can say what i mean by it others might mean something completely different by it of course um so i again i'm you know i'm flashing back to the eyes of a baby when you look in the eyes of a, a newborn baby, what do you see? Do you see a clean slate? Or do you see wisdom? Do you see ancientness? Mm -hmm. So when I talk about the true self, I talk about um, what I believe to be an essence, um, an energy and essence, some, some will call it soul, spirit, that enters into the physical form. And then, obviously, when death comes, the physical body dies. But I will not use the word death in my mind without inverted commas because I do not believe in true death because I don't believe that the essence that we see coming into life, um, I don't believe that dies. In, in all of my research, in all of my experience, from so many different angles, it says to me there is a continuation of the kind of essence self that is not the ego that is not the mind that is not the persona all those things live um are part of our experience and a very necessary part of our experience on the earth plane but it's the awareness the awareness self and beyond i'm talking about as being the true self so this is what um 
when you were in front of those people in that um, event you were holding and you heard the call of your child, he was telling you, don't let me forget, help me to remain conscious about my true identity. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking now about my mom because my mom was in perfect health. She was 91. She was driving and she was doing yoga every morning and meditating. And she was telling us for the last six months that she was praying every day to be taken away because she felt that she had done her work here. Yes. There was no reason uh, to continue to be in this earth plane, as she mm -hmm. called it. Yeah. And, and I was always joking to her and saying, well, if you want to go, mom, you got to be a bit more unhealthy because <laughs> the on. Yeah, yeah. and she said, uh, no, 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 I don't need to, I care for my body and wow. I'll be taken away. Oh, I love her. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so she had full faith on this candle that you lit in that essence, in that mm -hmm. uh, transition of the dual realities is like uh, almost you telling us that death is a transition you're living yes, very absolutely. much avatar this body and so as it happened i had a call from the friend she was talking that day and she said it was very strange i was talking to your mom and the phone got cut off and when she said that i immediately connected and i said oh my God, she's been taken away. So I ran to her house and I jumped through the window because she didn't respond. And there she was with a smile in her face, phone fallen on the sofa. And she was with a beautiful smile and she died in perfect peace and pleasure because there was no illness, no suffering, no pain. And she's been telling us that that's how she wanted to die for years and years. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we were all our family, because some people, of course, we all have different relationship to death. You seem to have a lot mm -hmm. of clarity, but some of us don't have so much clarity. Yeah, of course not. And we laughed and we said, ha, 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 yeah, 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 you're going to die, uh, you know, in perfect uh, pleasure and health. And also her son is a doctor. And so he knew how much death happens through illness and that's how people die. People die of old age and in bad state. So when this happened, that almost was the token for the whole family to say, I told you so. There is something <laughs> beyond our yes. understanding of nihilistic understanding of death, that when the physical form goes, it's all over and mm -hmm. done. Or you know, anything myriad of views around death, which we're not going to go into it, mm. according to religion, belief systems, etc. Mm. These, these human beings have been preoccupied with death since the beginning of time. And I'm thinking about the Egypt pyramids and etc. etc. How they dealt with death. So my mother, as as you as you're talking to us, I feel how she, that trust, how she held that trust. Mm -hmm. that of that light that you're telling us and she was asking her consciousness her essence to say please please pretty please mm -hmm. can you take me away and that is unusual and i feel yes, yes. i feel blessed by that message to us to my family and to friends because everybody saw um, the face, because we asked the people who dealt with her body not to put makeup or anything, all those things they do in yes. the body. Yes. All those things they do to the body. So her face was as it was. You know, she had a beautiful dress, the dress that um, her, she wore at her grandchild's wedding just a few weeks ago. And her face was totally peaceful. Mm -hmm. So I feel that um, oh. saying that because it just connects me with with that trust and that willingness to open to the beyond and to this true self that you're talking. Absolutely, about. and Elizabeth, 
that is a story that needs to be told over and over and over again because if we do not have and see role models like that showing that you don't have to die of some some illness then we don't know it's a choice so our bodies are just going along with the message our minds are telling us oh well i've got to die of something um so thank you thank you for telling it and thank you to you to your mother for succeeding i just you know i just want to say congratulations for making it you know celebrate her and and in that thank you camilla you know i i i feel your enthusiasm and your celebration because it's it's quite hard as you said you know like when your son died you know yeah. your grief and at the same time you never lost sight of the completion of the in and out the death birth birth death yeah but in that is hard to celebrate because the question then arises for me you said mm. um the choice around death i mean nobody wants to die camilla it sounds like our ego and everyone you talk people fear death and and they don't want to die that even people who are very sick in bed and they take all the medications and now because of all the technology we have people last until past their 95 years old Mm-hmm. So what could you say about this fear of death and why there is so much resistance in us to die? Well, I I think it's different in different cultures. I mean there are there are cultures that accept death a lot more obviously. Um but I think we're talking mainly about the western world and and our mindset around death. I think the media um Oh gosh, it's hard for me not to get really angry actually about the way the media portrays death and uses it as a as a way of thrilling people, threatening people. Um it's like the worst thing that can happen in a in a film is that somebody dies. God forbid. Um so there is that. I think we've been brainwashed those of us who have watched movies since we've been you know small i also think there's probably some kind of um instinctive self built into the human um the human body that um it's really the ego that doesn't want to die not the what have explained before the true self the true self doesn't even obviously death is just a ridiculous concept to the true self um so if if you i think if we are identified with ourselves as purely human and nothing more then it's bound to be pretty scary the end of everything but if you begin to open to the possibility that you're more than that then it it kind of softens the edges a bit um and makes it more possible to consider that death might not be such a bad thing um yeah also we're very short on role models we don't face we don't face death and of course it is it's so emotionally painful i mean losing someone you love hurts like hell so there's a, there's all of that kind of connotation around dying that it comes with this thing that is so difficult the grief the loss when i lost benjo it was like losing a limb it was hard it was hard but for me that that doesn't go into that means my son shouldn't have died at 5 what a loss of potential what a loss of life it could have lived i never went there other people did but for me that's a, that's insulting actually to because what what it is is suggesting that we are all supposed to live until we're old who said that who made that one up that we're supposed to live until we're what is it now 90 or 100 
No, that's something that we have assumed because maybe the majority of us do live to that age. So we need to look at our own belief systems that actually cause the fear, um, the fear of death and, and making it, basically making it bad, making it wrong. How can we soften those edges? How can we go beyond this programming that you say we have through our through the media and the connectation of loss as you said it hurts like hell mm. how how can you advise us to move through that in a way that we are softening and accepting death in the way you're telling us okay well the, the thing that springs to mind and often i have visuals come into my mind in response to questions and i have this visual um that I've had before many times and shared before. It's, you know, when something difficult happens to probably most people, there is an instinctive closing. So the if you imagine that, that someone, or you no doubt have a memory of someone you love dying or not being there anymore, and the instinct is to close down and your arms kind of almost move in front of you, your shoulders, your whole body language goes down to protect yourself. And, and that kind of takes you more, more into the energy of the difficulty. Oh, it's all so terrible. And, and I think one way of softening the edges is to practice with whenever any difficulty happens, not necessarily death, but anything that's tricky, that you kind of change your body language from going inwards to putting your arms out. And if it's really bad, you can imagine you're being crucified by it. Yes, ah! But you've got your arms open. And therefore, things can come in. Love can come in. Help can come in. Um, books can come in. You know, from, you know, these synchronicities start happening, don't they, sometimes? When, you, when you're open to things, you start noticing, oh, my goodness, this book has turned up. It's just what I need right now in this level of pain. So what I'm suggesting is beginning to open, feeling whatever it is. I'm not ever suggesting that you push away or resist any pain that's rising up that you're open to it, but also open to all that's constructive and positive, all that is working. It's the, the light and the dark thing. Yeah. How can you be in both of those places at the same time with any level of difficulty? So what you're suggesting to us is that we, the, we go beyond the instinct of shutting down in front yeah. of what we call pain and uh, to be counterintuitive, to actually break through that wall that we've learned to build because, yes, I mean, in, I'm thinking about earlier episodes when I was sharing about the elements and uh, what happens to us in our childhood and how we were or were not held determines many ways in which we're going to show up in the world so that is here uh, a way in which we've been taught to be with pain yes. and that we saw from the adults around us mm -hmm. and you're telling us to break through that and yes open, i am open to life in front yes. of what feels like death yes yes but also when when you have had something really difficult happen what, I, what I've perceived is that this kind of crack happens and you, you, your identity kind of feels as if it's splintering. You're not, in, you're not the same. It's like your inner constellation isn't the same anymore. Your family constellation maybe isn't the same. Something has changed and you're going to need to piece yourself together again. And in that 
kind of window of opportunity, if, if we were each able to see, let's say, death being a window of opportunity to break open, to say, yes, I'm breaking open, and to see what's inside there. Like you asked me about feminine wisdom, I said the dark um, cave from which that's where the rubies are, that's where the gold is. It's in the cave. But if if you're busy instinctually closing down, you never find the rubies. Okay, yes. Yeah? I feel that's so useful for me to hear you say this crack because I feel that this is what's happening to me. It's been so recent that I feel cracked and my identity feels dislodged and I'm having all sorts of symptoms of energy loss and extreme tiredness and mm. emotions and thoughts that are not really coordinating. And my old identity is saying, come on, Elizabeth, you know. You, oh, you, yes. No, your mother is died so beautifully celebrated, like you were saying before. But something is cracking me. Yes. And, and yes. I feel... Uh, I'm on that edge and I have to stay in that crack and in that dark yes, in you order do. to see what wants to be born. Yes, and that you do. requires patience, Kamala. Yes. That requires yes. time and patience. And in the speed of our busy life, here I am doing a podcast and 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 to, this afternoon I'm going to go and empty my mom's house. And Do you know what I mean? Our lives are so full. <sighs> they are. And uh, how... Can I be willing to let myself be cracked and enter mm -hmm. this cave that you're telling us? Mm. It's, it's something, again, that's not in the program. It's not in the program. No, no. Most people go looking for a way to feel different, to cover it up. Um, they go to addictions as well you know um eat, eating you know if eating is your thing a lot of people will go to eating too much but anything that will fill what feels like an emptiness but it isn't an emptiness it's a cave it just needs slightly um reframing that you don't need to fill that emptiness with drink or you might need sleep but Some people use sleep as an escape. So I'm saying there were so many escape routes away from the cave that are so tantalizing because you think it'll make you feel better. Part of you thinks that. And yet it's taking you in the opposite direction. And that's what I see over and over again is people kind of running from the cave. So that's a, that's a funny uh, concept, isn't it? I mean, yes, it is. don't, don't escape your emptiness. You're missing the jewels in the cave, you know. Yes. Say that to people when they're there overeating or overdoing anything, you know, is like, is such a beautiful image, you know, yeah. that... Um, it's a very provocative thought. and But most of us, Carmela, it's like, okay, you're telling us to go to the cave. Um, and if I go to the cave and I stop mm. eating and the drinking or the sex, drugs, and rock and roll, yeah. then, and I feel a lot of pain there, a lot of discomfort. Yeah. How am I going to be comforted? How am I going to be with that, Kamala? Oh, 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 oh. Well, you'll be a lot more comforted without all of the things you're trying to put into your body to escape it. If you're just there with it real and raw, then it's, it's somehow easier. Um, But there is a point because you seem to know that. And as it happens, I also So do you, yes. yes. But most of us we don't have that role model, that uh, contrast of knowing that if I stay and experience that experience, that is true because I know it's true what you're saying because I've experienced it myself and other people that I know. Um, so how can we find that turning point and know that I'll be okay? Well, I, I, I think we do need help. Um, To grieve alone 
mostly. It's it's not ideal. Um, it's been shown that finding one person for sure who can really be your kind of listening person who can create a powerful listening field for you to be able to say anything that you need to say without trying to fix you. It's extremely uh, useful in terms of healing. So, so we need help. We need we to need, yeah. find someone that knows what we are talking about here. Absolutely. And can accompany you to transit from the feeling the emptiness into the cave. Hold your hand into the cave. Absolutely. It would be very, very good if you had at least one person to hold your hand into the cave. But you do need to be careful, I think, who you are opening yourself to when you are in this space. Because the vast majority of people, in my experience, want to make it better, want to make it go away. But that is not what you need. You need to be able to allow it its uprising. So, look, there's a, there's a big difference between grief that is rising up. It comes in waves. Those of you who've um, experienced giving birth or watched someone giving birth, even watched it on, on movies, the contractions come in waves. So the grief will come in waves and it's a very natural phenomenon. And if you, if you let it, um, it moves on, it moves on through. You don't want people interrupting that process. And you also um, don't want to interrupt it yourself or change it yourself. So, so another common thing that people do is You've got the waves happening, and rather just than just allowing them to wave through, the mind then jumps in and starts, let's say, feeding, feeding the grief. So you start remembering about the day that so-and-so died and how terrible it was, and I, what if and I should have, and the mind starts going off on, on these trips, and gathering all of this um, difficult information that then increases the grief. Now, you don't want anyone else increasing your grief by constantly talking about the difficult things. Um, and you don't want people trying to take you away from it. So you've got to be really on it in terms of... Um, creating your own, and I use this word field, that your own safe space is what I mean really, to allow in those people who you really think will be able to support you fully. So you are bringing here the concept of discriminating. It's not yes. just finding someone to talk about. Discerning would be my word. Discerning. Discerning, yeah. Yeah. And and you're describing very well this person uh, who's going to help us is got to be someone who's not willing to fix it and who's mm -hmm. not willing to amplify the grief by taking mm -hmm. more stories. So yes. that's a very good guideline for, for the people who are here with us listening of how to discern who's going to be the person who's going to hold my hand into the cave. Yes. And uh, now it makes sense, the candle you lit at the beginning of the conversation, because that was the candle that's going to create that closing the circle of bringing the light into the cave. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned about the diamonds pick up the light and they are shiny mm -hmm. like a candle. Yes. So there is a union here of the trust, taking ourselves the candle into our cave and also knowing who we need to accompany us if we are not sure or we're not familiar with this process. Yes. Because most people around us, they have witnessed the way of being with death, which takes them away, that mm -hmm. they can be empty and people can have crisis and breakdowns. And so many people have talked, oh, my God, I feel so sorry for you. 
when my mother died, I was depressed for months and months. It's not helpful, is it? Yes. Uh, so that's kind of what surrounds us. And you're bringing us um, a new way. And that's why I wanted to interview you, because we've been edging on the, our last episode. We talked about um, BDSM and pain through sexuality as a way of also touching the light. Mm-hmm. And, and how can we be with pain in different areas of our life in a way to bring more consciousness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well also, said, Elizabeth. Yes. And we're talking about death as a way to bring more consciousness into Exactly. Yes. Yes. And my next question that um I don't know if we need to go there or maybe that's for another interview. But I'm questioning about what is your experience or knowledge or intuition about what happens to that consciousness as we leave the body? Where is where is my mom? <laughs> oh, Elizabeth. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've got bookshelves and bookshelves of books on this topic. It's a massive, massive topic, and you can come at it from so many different angles. Um you know, condensing down just for the sake of answering this question in in a nutshell, I would say that because your mother is very awake in her consciousness, in her awareness, that she would be matched wherever she is now um, and met by beings who resonate with who she has become at her death. And, of course, that goes for all the different types of levels of consciousness and and awakeness that um, if you have someone who's not so awake, they would get burnt. They wouldn't know where they were. They wouldn't understand what was going on if they were in the same places as where your mother is. But I, I absolutely, totally, and utterly believe that that there is another intelligent beyond all intelligence we could ever know on this earth plane, mm-hmm. uh, reality, mm-hmm. realm. Mm-hmm. And yes, it would be wonderful to do another podcast because there are so many stories um, around this whole subject, but I know we can't go into them. Mm-hmm. So the question, of course, for most of us that we've lost somebody um, is, can I be in touch with them? Can yeah. they be my ally? Can they connect? And mm, yes. that is massive. Can I, can, how, how she's, you know, if her consciousness is there and there is these beings that matching her frequency Am I going to be able to connect with her? Because some people say that you can have a better relationship with the person who died because there is no ego and personality clashes that when they are alive. What's your opinion on that? Oh, there's two questions there, really. Um, I answer the second one first. There's no personality there. I I have, from mainly from the research I've done, come to the conclusion that when we die, we don't instantly, just like that, become wisdom personified. That there is a process, there's a healing process, there's a move. There's also a a moving forward in in awareness, um, not this instant. Oh, no, now I've become all knowing, but there is a. Um, an acceleration towards that and an opportunity that is perhaps greater when you're not in the physical form to move towards wisdom. So I don't think it's entirely true that you can um, instantly have wisdom at your fingertips through your mother if, if she was really not very wise. 
um, to begin with. But you will certainly get a much better version because she won't be in, um, yes, she won't be trapped in, she will have another viewpoint and a, a much different viewpoint. So yes, you can have a different relationship, but not not higher wisdom immediately is what I would say about that. Can I get in touch with people? Um, can I get in touch with my loved ones? I've been communicating with my um, the energy of my son, shall we call it, um, since he died, which is a very long time ago now. He died in 1992. Uh, and I have extraordinary stories about his um, connecting with him that you, you just couldn't make them up. I mean, he actually sent a message through a medium to his brother who had been asking to connect with him which was quite astonishing to me. There was this, have I got time to just share this little story? Or no? Yeah. So um, there was a medium I'd never met. She was, in a, she was in a church giving a demonstration of mediumship. Um, someone I, I didn't know, but who knew my ex-husband was there. And the medium kept saying, I have this boy. He's about five. He's been with me the entire time. And I can't find anyone in the audience who will accept him. Please, will you think on it? Do you know a five-year-old? He says he died through drowning. And eventually, this woman who knew my ex dared to put her hand up and say, I think I know who it is. So then uh, the medium said, he wants his mother to contact me. So he wanted me to phone the medium. I got the number of the medium to phone her to get the message from my son. And I phoned her and she said, oh, at last, it's about time. He hasn't left me. He's been with me this whole time. He knows I was the one to get the message through. And she said, but first of all, before I talk to you about anything else, I just want to tell you, I was in a petrol station last night. And it was the middle of the night. I'd just come back on a long trip. And he was there, Benjaya, his name is. Benjaya was there. And he was uh, saying, buy that CD buy that CD. And she was having this conversation with him in the petrol station saying, I'm not buying a CD. I just want to buy the petrol. I don't know anything about James Bond. It was a James Bond um, theme music CD of all the theme tunes to James Bond. And in the end, he pestered her so much. And the, and the guy was just looking at her very weirdly, of course. She bought the CD of the James Bond theme tunes. And she said to me on the phone, she said, who is it that likes James Bond? I said, well, that would be Asher, my other son. She said, oh, he's saying, yes, you had to buy it for Asher. So I gave it to Asher, who, who had been watching all the James Bond films behind my back because I, I didn't want him to watch James Bond. <laughs> but, so I didn't even know. You know, he was watching all that until I asked him, you know, what is it with you and James Bond? And he says, oh, <laughs> I have been watching. So, yes, there are so many, many ways. I mean, that's a dramatic thing that happened to me through a medium, probably because I was, I'm flung wide open. If you're not open to it, if you're still talking about that loved one in the past as if they were then and not kind of relocating them to oh, maybe so-and-so could be here right now. If you start talking to them in the present as if they are here, you've got more chance of having the doors open to receive whatever it is, some little synchronicity. Did they like butterflies, certain birds that fly in? But if you haven't got your, your eyes open and your ears open for that song that just happened to appear on the radio, you have to have your radar out or, or you don't hear these kind of things. You, you're not open. It's the wrong frequency. So change your frequency to openness. Wow, Carmela, thank you for this story that uh, 
really brings us into the possibility of us talking about death and the beyond and and that's inspiring and right now for me because i'm just going through this cracked yeah window, you it's like um an inspiration to to bring my frequency open to receive her and I just want to say, Kamala, it's been an absolute pleasure to share this time together mm. and to hear your wisdom, which I know is there, but we don't spend time talking about such things, you and I. No, and not very often. And uh, I feel gratitude, and I'm sure that everybody who's been listening to us here has taken a lot of gems. From to- the cave. <laughs> A lot of them from your case. <laughs> yes. So, um, Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. No. So I want to say to everyone, if you want to know more about Kamala Bahan and what she's up to and how she supports people, or if you yourself want to be supported to go from that empty, empty into the fullness and the diamonds of the cave she's talking about, please look at the bio below and there is all the information to get in touch with Kamala and bring you into the wisdom that she's able to access around this subject. So Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Life, Death, Life, Endless Cycle. We go on and I look forward to being with you in my next episode. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.